to John chapter 15. Last Sunday morning in Bible Hour, we came to Isaiah chapter 5, where we learned about the nation of Israel being a vine that God had planted. And we found out that God fashions himself and describes himself as a vine dresser, as a husbandman, one who cares for the vines. And in looking and studying how Israel is a vine and how God has used and worked with Israel in history, uh, it climaxed in some ways in Isaiah chapter 5 as Isaiah confronted King Uzziah, a man who loved husbandry, with how disastrous the nation of Israel was. And last week as we came to the close of looking at the history of Israel as a vine and how God worked with that vine, and we saw in Psalm chapter 80, the prayer of quickening, the prayer of revival, the prayer to make alive, and then we briefly turn to the New Testament. And as you may know, John chapter 15 is a beautiful and incredible passage that teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ being the true vine. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was described as a vine, a choice vine, but yet a vine that had become rotten, rotten to the root. And this morning, I'm not actually going to be the one preaching. This morning, I'm going to draw a picture, and Brother Bob Reisinger is going to preach for you. So um, we need to pray for him as he preaches this morning. And, um, and pray that the Lord will use him and the words from his word as he shares them with us this morning. So let's pray together. Our great and good God, we give thanks to you for your loving kindness to us. And now as we open your word and we look at the incredible truth, the illustration given of the vine in John 15, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you'd be with Brother Reisinger, fill him with your spirit and guide his lips and his words that all that he may say would be pleasing to you and that it may be for our edification. Lord, I pray that we might learn and be admonished and strengthened in this day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen. Well, I'm going to move down here uh, so that you folks can see what Pastor Stephen is doing. That way you don't have to look at me. You can look at him, right? <clears throat> While he's doing that, a oh, little bit of behind the scenes, uh, many of you know my brother, Pastor Joe, and uh, Pastor Joe likes to say, always be ready to preach, pray, sing, or die. And uh, I got the call earlier in the week, and uh, I throw that around with Pastor Stephen. I, I love this man. We have, a, we have a great relationship. I get to clean the building, so when I'm here, he's here, and he and I enjoy a lot of conversation. And part of that conversation is I said, you know, Pastor, you always got to be ready to preach, pray, sing, or die. Well, I changed that up a little bit uh, because I, in my mind, to remember it well, I had to, they all had to begin with the same letter, right? Always be ready to preach, pray, praise, or perish. <laughs> and I said that to Pastor Stephen one day, and he just, he looked at me, he was aghast, he was in horror. He said, what in the world? Perish? Preach? Pray? Well, the word perish has gotten some bad press in John 3.16. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the word perish there is over against everlasting life, meaning everlasting death. 
okay? So we don't want to be ready to preach, pray, praise, or perish. So I came up with a new word. Are you ready? Always be ready to preach, pray, praise, or promote. Amen? All right. All right. Praise the Lord. Promote, right? I'm ready for that promotion. Be ready to promote. By the way, I, I like to add verse 17 to John 3, 16. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, what might be saved. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. So, we're going to talk about the vine this morning. And to begin, I want you to sing a song with me. So grab your hymnal and turn to number 284. Number 284. <clears throat> and we're just going to sing it a cappella. How many of you are familiar with this hymn? I have learned the wondrous secret. Hands? Somewhat familiar? Okay. Here's the first line. I have learned the wondrous secret of abiding with the Lord. Okay, can you sing that with me? Here we go. I have learned the wondrous secret of abiding with the Lord. I have tasted life's true fountain. I am drinking of his word. I have found the strength and weakness of abiding neath the blood. I have lost myself in Jesus. I am sinking into God. I am crucified with Jesus, and he lives and dwells with me. I have ceased from all my struggling, all no longer I but he. All my life will to him, and his spirit reigns within. And his precious blood each moment keeps me cleansed and free from sin. All my sicknesses I bring him, and he bears them all away. All my fears and griefs I tell him, all my cares from day to day. All my strength I draw from Jesus, by his breath I live and move. He is very mine, he gives me, and his faith and life and love. For my words I take his wisdom, for my works his spirit's power. For my ways his ceaseless presence guards and guides me every hour. Of my heart he is the portion, of my joy the boundless spring. Blessed Savior, my Redeemer, glorious Lord and coming King. Of my heart he is my portion, of my joy the boundless spring. Blessed Savior, my Redeemer, 
your Bibles to John. Chapter 15. Let's stand together if you can. If you're able to stand, let's stand together for the reading of this great, great, wonderful passage of God's Word. Let's read together the first 11 verses, starting with verse 1. We'll read it this way. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husband. Read it with me, beginning with the reference. John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you. Let's pray together, shall we? <clears throat> oh, Holy Father, we uh, we bow before Thy great name. to come before the Father in his love for us, in this great design that we could be one with you is more than we can take in. It fills us to overflowing when we begin to understand it. I thank you, Lord, so much for the ministry of your Son, how he came and did the works of the Father and spoke the words of the Father and what he did for us at Calvary to make it all possible. I thank you, Father, for the, the incredible wonderful throne gift of the Holy Spirit 
that Jesus asked you to send in, my, in his name. At that day, we became something new. Those who put their faith and trust in you became new creatures because of the Holy Spirit. It's, uh, it's more than we can comprehend. The eternal riches of your glory through Christ Jesus. We have but a portion to meditate on this morning and this beautiful illustration that the, that the Lord Jesus used with his disciples is, is ours, thanks to your holy word. I pray, Father, that you would steal my emotions and steer my thoughts and help me communicate to these folks what, what they need to hear. There's someone here today who is not in the vine. I pray today that they would be quickened and be part of the vine through faith in you. There are those here today who are withering on the vine. And I pray that you would quicken them and restore them to fruitfulness as your grand design commands and permits. Help us, Lord, to open our minds and our hearts to your word this morning. And I thank you for it, and I praise you for it in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Whoa, who turned out the lights? Hey, you know what? This reminds me of something. <clears throat> when the boys were little, the boys, we have, we have four boys. And when the boys were little, uh, we were trying to teach them to sit still in church, you know, to listen to the preacher. And uh, Monica would get them coloring pages, you know, Bible story color pages. And when they started to get fidgety, they would, she would get the color pages out in the crayons and they would color. You know, so it kind of, did you color when you were a kid? You, kind of, you know? Okay. So I, I guess he never outgrew it is, is what I'm getting at. He's, so he's going to color during church while I preach, right? I guess that's better than you preaching and me sleeping. I think that's a better arrangement? Okay. Fantastic. What a wonderful opportunity. Uh, to share with you this morning. <clears throat> the Gospel of John uh, is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Uh, I'd like to say it's my favorite book, but I don't know if you can do that with, with the Bible, okay? And many people have a life verse or a favorite verse, and I, I guess the closest thing to my life verse would be John 3.16. That's the first verse that Pastor Sprunger taught me when I was eight years old. And uh, I've since added verse 17 to that. But uh, that verse is in the book of John. And uh, John's gospel is 
I'll say one of my favorites, so I don't exclude any of the scriptures, right? Um, it's one of my favorites because the Gospel of John is an eyewitness account. Have you ever thought of that? The Apostle John was with the Lord. He was in the inner circle of the three, Peter, James, and John. And, G and John was the Apostle that was at the cross with Mary. So in the Gospel of John, we have an eyewitness account of the, the, the words, the deeds, the miracles, the actions, the, 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 the travel plan, the timeline of the Lord's ministry. It's an eyewitness account. It's a first-hand account. And then you, you add the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to that, and we have a wonderful, wonderful book. And John says at the end of his book, in chapter 21, he says, but these things are written that ye may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And the Gospel of John is largely that, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we might have life through his name. It's a beautiful book, beautiful gospel. And it's a privilege and a pleasure to be in it this morning. Pastor called me earlier in the week and he said, do you think you could do that? And I said, do you think I could do that? And I got behind the steering wheel of my truck and I started meditating on John 15. And I've had a glorious week. Just glorious. I said, you don't have to ask me twice to meditate in John. Okay? <laughs> you just don't have to. We just read the first 11 verses of John chapter 15. And John, 5, John 15 could be described as one of those problem passages. Now, there are no passages in the scriptures that are really a problem. But there are some passages that are difficult. And they're, they're, they, they can be difficult to understand sometimes. But what I'm, what I'm anxious to show you is that John 15 does not have to be one of those passages. In fact, what are some of those passages? Romans 7, second half of Romans 7, difficult to understand, right? There's a famous one, 1 John 3, the end of chapter 2, 1 John chapter 3. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, the apostate chapter. Um, so you might think of some others. Difficult to understand, but what we've learned here at Fellowship Baptist Church through the teaching of Pastor Virgil is it doesn't have to be a difficult passage. If we approach the Word of God correctly and use our tools of interpretation correctly, the Holy Spirit will indeed bear witness with our spirit that what we're seeing is the truth, and we can believe it, receive it, and let that scripture be fulfilled in us and let it produce its fruit, right? Even as we read through this, these first 11 verses this morning, there may be someone here who right now, there's fear has just, has just welled up inside of you because of some of the things we read. Difficult things like Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Whoa. And 
verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. I think the one I'm looking for is 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Whoa. Did you hear that turn off? <laughs> right on cue. Difficult words to hear. Scary words to hear. So what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to take those tools that, that Pastor Virgil has taught us, tools of interpretation, and let's see if we can determine what the Holy Spirit, what the Lord Jesus is trying to teach us here. And by it, I pray, I pray, I pray that you'll be blessed and excited and leave here full of joy instead of full of fear. Can we do that? You want to try it? Let's see what we can do. Pastor Virgil has taught us what? We interpret the literal. Next one. Grammatical. Next one. Historical. Next one, context, 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 right? The literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of the scripture within its context. And the way we do that is we apply some questions. We apply some who, what, when, where, how. So let's do some of that this morning, and I'll I think you'll see how it falls together. The who, what, when, where, how. Jesus is speaking. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the disciples, his followers. Where? In the upper room. That's where they were, anyway. How did they get to the upper room? Well, Prior to the upper room experience, Jesus was out in Galilee and out in Jerusalem and out in different places doing, saying the Father's words and doing the Father's work. He was having a good time healing people, speaking the Father's good news. John's gospel records just before he comes to Jerusalem, he records the raising of Lazarus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And he raised such a stir that the, that the Jews said, we've got to do something about this man. Everyone is following after him. The Romans are not going to like this because Jerusalem was under Roman rule. So Jesus was raising quite a fuss. He was stirring up the people and they were all following him. After that, you have the triumphal entry into Jerusalem just prior to the Passover, just prior. So they've had their Palm Sunday, and he's in Jerusalem. He continues to teach, and now he comes apart with his disciples, and they go to the upper room. In the upper room, they share together the Passover meal. What happens at that Passover meal? 
This is where Jesus institutes, where he, where he makes the new covenant, the new testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is a passage that we're all familiar with. I'm not going to ask you to turn there because I can barely see mine, okay? <laughs> and we hear this read every time we participate in what we call communion. Communion. And when he had given thanks, Jesus, he, Jesus, break it, the bread, and he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. So there, were, there was something that Jesus wanted them to remember. He wanted them to remember bread and a cup. Well, the cup, we understand, is symbolic of his blood, his cleansing blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he says, I want you to remember this cup. And I want you to do this to remember my shed blood for you. But what about the bread? What's that all about? Well, he said, this is my body. In Jewish custom, this is a little bit lost on American culture. Not all of our cultures it's lost on, but many. It was extremely important in ancient Jewish custom to share a meal together. That was a big deal. And at the beginning of that meal, the host would take the bread. Now, the bread was like a flat bread and it was baked, and he would take the bread as a whole, and he would break it. Okay, he would bless it, break it, pass it, and, we, and they all partook of the whole. See that? So that's a symbol of oneness, of being one. So they communed in that one bread, okay? And we call it communion because of 1 Corinthians 10. It's called communion there. The King James uses the word communion. It's the same word as the word fellowship. Fellowship. The Greek word in the New Testament for fellowship or communion it's something like it is a course of interpersonal relationship. Fellowship or communion is a course of interpersonal relationship. It is the same word we use to describe the most intimate relationship between a, a biblically married man and woman. It's the same word. That's how intimate and how close that sense of oneness is. Jesus took that bread and he broke it and he passed it amongst them and they partook of his body in the oneness of his body. It is through his body that we are made one and that we are made one 
with one another. That happens at the beginning of John chapter 13 in the upper room. Okay? Now go with me to the end of chapter 17. The end of chapter 17. Chapter 17 of John is known as the Lord's great high priestly prayer. Beginning with the new covenant, he is acting as our royal high priest in the breaking of bread and the giving of the cup. In John chapter 17, he's offering a prayer to the Father that he wants the disciples to hear. If you can see it, you can turn to it. The end of chapter 17, I'm just going to read a few verses for you. The Lord said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through thy, their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, are in me, listen, that thou, Father, are in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Okay, that, these verses and that language is very familiar to us because we study it and we use it. But this is new to the disciples. All of a sudden, the Lord is breaking bread and he says, this is my body. They have the upper room intercourse, he comes to the end of his high priestly prayer and he's still talking about, Father, I'm in you and you're in me and they're in me, that they may be one. This is all new to the disciples. Let's read on. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them and they have, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world, before time. O righteous Father, the world hath known thee, but I have known thee, and thee have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. And the very next verse says, according to John's record, Eyewitness account, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook, Kidron, where there was a garden. So we have this period of time from when dinner began in the upper room until just before they crossed the brook. And it's just a few hours. John penned 21 chapters in his gospel, and he dedicates five entire chapters to that period of time. 
Now here's a, another question. In order to frame the context correctly, think with me. On our timeline, we have eternity past, before creation, eternity past. We have a timeline, after time begins, we have a timeline, time will end, and when time ends, we have eternity future. What is the, the one main big time event that happens in this parenthetical period of what God calls time in eternity? Time begins, time ends. What is the central event that splits time? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. The perfect cross work of Jesus Christ, the work that he did on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. You could include the ascension in that. That is the event that splits time. Question, when did the upper room to the brook happen? Was it before the cross or after the cross? before the cross. If you're going to understand John 15, it's important that you know that. This discourse happens before the cross. The disciples, their experience, their knowledge is everything pre-cross. We look at John 15 from this side of the cross. We look through the cross to John 15, and, and as a result, there's a, there's a lot more we understand because that event has happened and we understand it. And because we understand it, we understand some things that Jesus taught or was trying to teach the disciples that he knew they couldn't understand. They were so befuddled. They, in chapter 16... One of the, the disciples finally says, well, well, now you're not speaking to us in a proverb at all, and now we understand. And he says, do you really? They, they didn't understand. In chapter 14, that beautiful, beautiful chapter, chapter 14, Verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So if you're going to come to the Father, if you're going to visit with the Father, if you're going to have fellowship and communi communion with the Father, it has to be, it must be through Jesus Christ. Okay? If, he, if ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Whoa, whoa, Jesus, whoa, hang, hang on. This is before the cross, okay? This is new language. It's new, they're confused. Jesus is talking about suffering, and he's talking about going to the cross. He's talking, he says, I'm going to leave you, but then I'm going to, they're so confused. And now he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. This is new. 
Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth. And Jesus saith, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou, thou then, show us the Father? They, they didn't understand. Pre-cross. Okay? That's one of the reasons they don't get it. Now, key verse. Look with me. Jesus starts talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit in sending the Comforter. Right? Look with me at verse 20, if you can see it. I don't know if you can see it. He says, At that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, that ye are in me, and I am in you. Okay. At that day, ye are going to know something. What am I going to know, Lord? I'm going to know that at that day, that you, Jesus, are in the Father, that you, Jesus, are in me, and that I, Jesus, am, or that I am in, that I, Jesus, am in the Father, that I am in you, and that you are in me. At that day, you're going to know that. Okay, what is that day? That day. There's been a lot of speculation about that day. I've heard some people teach that, that that day is the day he rose from the grave. Okay, I wouldn't argue that necessarily. That day was the day he ascended on high to sit, to sit at the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us. It could be that day. Could it be that day? Could that be the rapture? Could that be the day that he comes to get us? Could that be that, that day? Could that be the day that he comes again? Or could that day be way out here in the future where we're past the millennial kingdom and in that day we are one with him forever and ever for all of eternity? Is it that day? What, what is that day that he's talking about? Well, he tells us, but we have to back up a little bit to see it. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be. He dwelleth with you now, but he's going to be in you. There's a distinction there. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you the Holy Ghost, the Comforter. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. That day. I argue that that day is the day the Comforter came. The day of Pentecost. Jesus said, after his resurrection, just before he ascended, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to hang out there until you receive power from on high, the coming of the Holy Spirit. That day, in that day, you will know that I, Jesus, am in the Father, that I am in you and that you are in me. 
I argue that John 15 is the Lord's illustration of how the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, makes us one with him. Oneness, fellowship, communion with God is the gospel of God. Some people think and will say, and I, you know, I would have said this, I, I believed it for many years. I, I got saved when I was eight years old. I got scared to death about hell, didn't want to go to hell, wanted to go to heaven, didn't know a thing about Jesus or religion, and a man opened a Bible and he showed me John 3.16. And I got saved. And thereafter, in my eight-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-old, immature mind, if you ask me, what does it mean to be saved, I would have said, it means that I'm not going to hell and I am going to heaven when I die. Praise God. And I knew that I knew that I knew that that was going to happen to me. I would not go to hell, but I would go to heaven. But ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, let's dive a little deeper. That is, a, that is an immature view of salvation. Okay? And as we grow in grace, as we grow in the knowledge of the Lord, we learn something. And I submit to you that we learned this. That, that be, just because I'm not going to hell, I've been rescued from the penalty of hell, and I have received the gift of heaven, that does not constitute my salvation. Those are consequences. Those are blessings. Those are benefits of my salvation. What constitutes my salvation is I become one with him. I become one with the God of the universe. He came to restore what he had originally created. Back in, here in the garden, he, he took clay and he took his own two hands and he formed a man and he did what? He breathed into him the breath of life. And you have a man with God in him. He was created to be the tabernacle of God, the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. And there came a day when Adam said, no. Eve was deceived. She was after the fruit. Adam was after independence. Adam said, I will not be filled with God. I will be filled with myself. And he died to God. Jesus came and did something on the cross in order that he might restore that to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So I think we're over the target. Jesus is in the upper room discourse between the time the meal starts until the time they cross the, the brook, there's this few hours, 
five chapters. And just like the Apostle Paul does in the book of Romans, he starts his discourse, he moves through chapters 1 through 6, and then all of a sudden in chapter 7, he gives an illustration of marriage. He uses marriage to illustrate the gospel. Then he moves off of that illustration and continues his discourse. Jesus is doing the same thing. He started his discourse, the upper room discourse, and if you look at the end of chapter 14, he says something like, let us go hence. So he gives them the discourse on the, on the Holy Spirit, and he says, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do, arise, let us go hence. So they're leaving the upper room, John says, and they're headed to the brook. Jesus has been teaching. The disciples get up from dinner. They, they leave the upper room. Down the steps they go. They, tr they trod out into the night, headed for the brook that will take Jesus to the garden to do his work. And along the way, he continues to teach. And all of a sudden, we don't know. Maybe they're passing through a vineyard. Maybe he sees a sculpture on a gate. But there's the vineyard. And Jesus says, I am the vine. And my father is the husband. And he's going to use the vine as an illustration not of just justification, not of just sanctification, not of just glorification, not of just redemption, but of all of that. Salvation is all of that. It's an illustration of being one with God. Let's look at it quickly because we're out of time. I am the true vine. To the disciples, that would be an unbelievable statement. That would be a statement of great wonder. The disciples would have understood wine agriculture very, very well. As Pastor Stephen alluded to last week, there are many, many illustrations symbolically in the scriptures that have to do with the vine and the branch and the grapes and the wine. Very symbolic. It symbolized Israel, as Pastor Stephen talked about last week. It symbolized many things. It was a symbol of great blessing. The Bible talks about that vine that is planted and it's, the, the, it says it, it's digged, meaning it's fertilized, it's planted, it's well taken care of. There's a husbandman or a vine dresser that takes care of that vine, and that vine produces this, this magnificent vineyard, and from that vineyard comes this magnificent glory, the fruit. The scriptures also talk about a wild vine. 
a wine, a, a, a vine that just grows up, a vine that produces wild grapes, inferior fruit, fruit that is of no use to anyone. Jesus says, I am the vine, and my father is the husbandman. Even though there are many references to, symbolically, to the vine being Israel and so forth, I think we need to go just a little bit deeper. If we were to turn back to John chapter 1, we read something very interesting. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So before time began, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. We know the beginning to be what? Genesis 1.1, the beginning of creation. Look at what it says. Listen to what it says. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. Boy, that sounds like a vine, doesn't it? The life giver. The vine is the life giver to the vineyard. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In John 15, I think the reference of I am the vine, I am, I am the existent one, I am the vine, is a reference to the life giver. I am the vine. Everything was made by me, and by me all things consist. If we take the view that the vine here is the life giver, and the father is the husbandman, then that helps us with verse 2. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it might bring forth more fruit. Now, you can't see this, but Jesus says, I am the vine. And this is a pretty, uh, pretty sad-looking vine. I got this out of my backyard. And it's already drying up. But we're going to say this is the vine. This is the part that's in the ground, okay? And here's a vine. See the vine? See that there? So this would be a branch. See that branch? That's a pretty sad-looking branch, isn't it? Look at that one there. Okay. He says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So here we go. There are two kinds of branches in the vine. There's a dead branch, dead wood, we call this. This is dead. Okay? There's no life in that. There's no life in that. 
Jesus created Adam with life. Adam said no, and he died to the vine. Adam became dead wood. See that? Dead wood. Every, he goes on, he says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, dead wood, dead wood can't bear fruit, he taketh away. He taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Okay? So the Bible says, Jesus said, if you're dead, there will come a time when the Father will take you away. So what does it take to be in the vine? Well, there's one that's got some life in it. <laughs> you have to be alive in the vine. If you're alive in the vine, the Father isn't going to take you away. Okay? The vine is the life giver. Two kinds of wood. Dead wood, living wood. Dead wood, the Father takes away. Now, some people have tried to play games with that word, taketh away. Okay? You can trust it. It means what it says. The Father will take it away. But the living branch, what does it say? He says, he purges it that it might bring forth more fruit. Now, interesting, verse 3. Why in the world does he say, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you? What in the world does that have to do with verse 2? Well, the clue is in the word purging. He purges it. Purging means to prune or clean, to make clean, to, to, to purge away all the, the poison and the filth and make it clean so that it can bring forth fruit. What happens to a believer when, in, when he comes in repentance and says, Lord, I repent of my sins. I accept you as my Savior. What happens to him? Through an operation of God, the Holy Spirit baptizes him into Jesus Christ, and he is cleansed, he is purged, and he is what the Bible calls quickened. Psalm 80, he is quickened into the vine. The dead wood becomes living wood. You see that? The dead wood becomes living wood, and the dead wood becomes one with the vine. The vine is Jesus Christ. The life that is in the vine is the Holy Spirit. The life that is in the vine flows through the branch so the branch can bear fruit. The fruit comes from the life that's in the vine. If you take a branch, is, is this branch going to bear fruit? No, because there's no life in it. 
a branch by itself, here's a branch by itself, it can't bear fruit because there's no vine. There's no life in it. But you quicken the, vine, the branch to the vine, the life begins to flow through the vine, and it bears fruit, right? The word bear does not necessarily mean to produce. And often when we look at this chapter and we see that word bear, that's the way we use the word. We say, well, that plant bears fruit. That, that corn plant bears corn. Okay? The King James Bible actually only uses the word, the Greek word here, to produce, so to speak. It only uses it twice, and it's not here. Every other place, the King James Version uses the word beareth as in to bring, to carry. I'm bringing it to you. I'm carrying it to you. A branch in the vine, where'd my vine go? My branch go. A branch in the vine, the branch carries the fruit. It brings it. It brings the glory. But the branch doesn't produce the fruit. It can't. It's the life in the branch that comes from the vine that produces the fruit, the glory. It is this oneness, he in the Father, he in us, and us in him, the Holy Spirit, that, that produces the fruit that we bear. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. That's quickening. That's regeneration. I wish I had time to take you to some other scriptures, but I can, I can prove that scripturally. Okay? Abide in me. This is the first time he uses the word abide. Dwell in me. Live in me. Paul says if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, that's salvation. If you abide in me and I in you, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Again, the life of the vine. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Is that a picture of eternal punishment? Yes, it is. For all those who are dead. It's only dead branches that are taken away and cast into the fire and burned. So the question is, is are you alive in the vine? Or are you just dead wood? To become alive in the vine, we simply receive his life and become one with him. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, here we go, now he's going to tell us how it works. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. There it is. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Okay, what's his word? Abide in me. Live in me. 
What does Romans 10 say? It says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You hear the word of God, and here's what happens. You hear the word of God, that seed is planted in your heart and your mind. The Holy Spirit, who convicts you of your sin, bears witness with your human spirit that what you're hearing is true, and at that moment, you are responsible to make a moral decision. Do I receive life and oneness with Christ, forgiveness of my sin, victory over my sin, oneness with the Father, or do I reject him? Again, the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that what you're hearing is true, and at that moment, you are required to make a moral decision. Do I receive him or reject him? Do I continue to be deadwood or do I become alive in him? When you say, yes, I accept the bread, I receive the cup, I will be one with you. Through an operation of the Holy Spirit, you become baptized into Jesus Christ and you come forth in his resurrection and become alive in the vine to bear fruit from now and evermore. If you are born again, brothers and sisters, you are bearing fruit. You are. That is the glory of God within you. And that fruit is to glorify God. It is to, it is to uh, glorify others around you as they see the fruit and they glory in the fruit and the seed is in the fruit for reproduction. And look what he says. Verse 11, these things have I spoken unto you that, your joy, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And that your joy might be full as a result of my life in you. Many people struggle with, well, how do I know I'm saved? And do, how do I know that I'm in the vine and that I'm not in the vine? Look, so, some of you, I know this because it used to be me. I was waiting for this, this supernatural move of the Holy Spirit. Woo! You know, it would come down and fill me in such a way that I would be filled with fruit. Being in the vine is an act of faith. Biblical faith, Hebrews 11:6, it says, but without faith it is impossible to please him, but he that cometh to God, he that would visit with God, he that would be in God, must believe that he is, that he exists, and that what? That he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That he's the rewarder. The Apostle Paul used Abraham as an illustration in chapter 4 of Romans. And at the end of that chapter, he says that Abraham believed that God was able to perform that that he promised. That's a good definition of biblical faith. Do you believe 
that God is able to perform that which he promised? It's a yes or no question. Do you believe that God is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him? If, you, if my word abides in you and you ask what you will, it will be done unto you. And you are quickened in the vine to produce fruit. And the very faith that you are exercising in that regard is fruit. Do you see that? And that fruit that is produced in you develops a disposition in you that drives you to godliness. We don't work for fruit. The fruit produces the work. Because I have this fruit, this disposition in my life, I behave this way. We don't approach John 15 and say, man, I got to work. I got to get some fruit. I got to find some fruit. No, you believe. The Bible says you believe that the Holy Spirit is there and he is producing fruit in you. Well, I only got to about half of what I wanted to share with you, but that's okay. Are you done coloring? Are you in the vine? Do you abide in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been quickened? Made alive in Jesus Christ? The choice is yours. Jesus died on that cross for my sin and for your sin. He was buried and he rose again, offering to each one of us everlasting life. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ to receive that everlasting life? I pray that if not, today you do, and that you will receive life everlasting so that you can go forth as the one who brings forth fruit, Christ living in you, bringing forth fruit, it says to the glory of God the Father. For without Jesus, you can do nothing. This morning, believe on him and then live in him, not quenching his spirit, but walking in his spirit, that his spirit might bring forth good fruit, much fruit, through your life, to the glory of God the Father. Join with me as we sing, To God be the glory. To God be the glory.